You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <clears throat> and then suddenly, in, in Sully Arna's universe, you know, the planets didn't align. And he found himself heartbroken with a long-term girlfriend and the, the breakup and everything. And so we were to come back, you know, we took we go Monday through Friday when we write and have the weekend off, you know. And we get the call on Sunday, yeah, uh, have a nice summer. I'm splitting going back to Boston, right? So we were like, oh, shit. And, you know, and he told us, of course, what happened, which was a breakup. And and me and Tony Robbie looked at each other. We knew it. That's when, you know, we're going to get hits now. Now the shit got real, <laughs> and my boy will go and he'll take his pain, and he'll he'll be in pain. And so it sucks as, as a, a friend of his for so long. You know, we're like brothers, man, <laughs> and uh, it sucks to see him go through it, but every time I'm like, man, he's going to write some real shit and it's going to be a hit. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to 2020, and we are super pumped for part two with our good friend Shannon Larkin. If you have not seen part one of the previous episode, definitely go back, check that out. We've been checking in, talking, talking Godsmack, talking the Apocalypse Blues revival, Ugly Kid Joe, all that good stuff. Number ones. Yeah, it's a few and number ones lessons, kicking around. Most importantly, <laughs> about reaching your peaks, about about living in freedom, about pursuing the things. I mean, I think that's what I really took out of part one, but we can continue on the conversation. Yeah, but Blabbermouth wants to hear about the number one single that's beating out Metallica right now. And uh, so we should give them that soundbite of like, you know, Sully Erna did it again with his amazing band of incredible Jedis with our friend Shannon Larkin on drums. And he'll continue to do it for the rest of this record because they're just awesome. And now back to the sentimental poignant part. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's even God's back to me is wonder and awe, man. You know, I'll tell this uh, cool thing. Uh, and then I'll get I'll get to the another story I have for you guys. Um, but um, when when we were doing the record, the new record, you know, we, we came in January of 21 and did three months and we wrote like 10, 11 songs, you know, a pretty decent set of music for starters, you know, for a new record. And <clears throat> and then suddenly in, in Sully Arna's universe, you know, the planets didn't align. And he found himself heartbroken with a long-term girlfriend and the, the breakup and everything. And so we were to come back, you know, we took, we go Monday through Friday when we write and have the weekend off, you know, and we get the call on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, have a nice summer. I'm splitting going back to Boston. Right. So, we were like, oh, shit. And, you know, and he told us, of course, what happened, which was a breakup. And 
and me and Tony Robbie looked at each other. We knew it. That's when, you know, we're going to get hits now. Now the shit got real <laughs> and my boy will go and take his pain and he'll, he'll be in pain. And so it sucks as, as a, a friend of his for so long, you know, we're like brothers, man. And uh, it sucks to see him go through it. But every time I'm like, man, he's going to write some real shit and it's going to be a hit, you know, because that's what happens is like he, his lyrics are brilliant in that, you know, they're very, you know, direct, like almost blue collar lyrics to where he, you know, he can touch middle America and, and rock bands, you know, and he's like the, the hard rock Bruce Springsteen or some shit. You know what I mean? Like he can touch, touch dudes. And uh, so anyway, then that three month thing happened and he came back, of course, with like six new songs that were ended up being, you know, on the record. And the last one was the one that I feel is going to be the next single and the next, you know, the next number one, I'll say it out loud right there. And then who knows what happens after that? But, you know, it's a badass song. Yeah, and it was written in one day. We needed one more song for the record. And so he came in, he had this thing, wow, 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 and had this cool riff, right? And it just literally, I showed up that morning and we just knew that we, we didn't have anything else, but that we really loved, you know? We had other songs that were just like, ah. And so... And he had that one riff, so he was jamming this riff. And by the time I showed up, Tony was already there, and they were, they were already on to the second riff of it. The beat I threw on there, and I did the I do this Zeppelin like type John Bonham type thing at the top of the song with their riff, and it sounded really cool. It all came together, like I said, in one day. Literally, the arrangement that went on the record, and we're in the studio, so we recorded it the very next day, and uh, and so I'm rooting for it. You know what I mean? I love it. Is this it. like you're paranoid yeah. from like Black Sabbath where you're going to be like, oh, yeah, no, we just in an hour. We're hanging out. And we're like, oh, let's roll the tape. Finished with my woman. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, You know, it's it's definitely um, it took a lot of we stayed there for 10 hours that day, though, to finish it, you know, and no one wanted to leave like we were all, you know, it was, it's an interesting, cool song, you know, and uh and he got a vocal hit right away, which usually doesn't, you know, it takes him usually a while to get a hit on it where like he has a melody, you know, and he and he's very particular. And that's why it takes so long to write songs and records, you know, is because he doesn't like to, uh, he very, I wouldn't say self-conscious, but very particular about every word. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a, almost a, game to him that he has to or a puzzle rather that he has to solve you know lyrically because you know you know that's lyricists you know there's cadences there's melody but then there's also vibe you know what i mean and he goes really deep into like you know himself and he spoke pop with us this time it was really fun <laughs> it was the funnest record we did man i tell you all the years or whatever, and all the records, it was definitely the funnest one with the least bit of drama. We got that dude Mud Rock back in. But anyway, I don't, I don't, know. I don't know if we're allowed to say this, but I just remember hanging out. You, you, we can cut this out if this is not okay. But I remember you saying something to me to the effect of, when Sully started dating Lady Gaga, she got him to finally smoke, and that was great. 
Is that a true story? Yeah, that's true. And that's, that's not, I don't think, a secret. You know, I don't think Sully would bum out if people knew he dated Lady Gaga. I mean, she's hot and she's mega talented. So she's unbelievable. Like, how could you, yeah. like, why would he not be yeah. proud of that? Like, it, it, seriously, like, if you well, want to say, like, he's not, you know, as much as I love, tell. You know, he's not like Tommy Lee or whatever that, or, what, whoever the guy is now, you know. None of us are like Tommy Lee, man. <laughs> None of us. Unless Tommy you're, Lee, unless you're packing play. something else that I don't know about. What I mean is by that is Travis Barker, Tommy Lee, whatever. It's dudes that have public girlfriends mm-hmm. that are super famous too. And then they're, but they're different than Sully. Sully's East Coast guy. He's like me and Tony Robbie. We're East Coast dudes. And so, you know, yeah. I don't More know. Yeah, I guess. You know, LA bands, LA bands and West Coast dudes, they have flashier maybe. And they, you know, their rock starism is more David Lee Roth than, you know, I don't know, Eddie Vedder. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're more Eddie Vedder, even though we're East Coast, you know. So we're probably even flashier than Eddie, who he'll show up in an army jacket on your ass. You don't even recognize him. Oh, oh my God, that's Eddie Vedder. Uh so we're one, we're in between them and the dudes with the flashy girls on our arms. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so did he date her? Yeah, but did he ever tell anyone? No, except for our his friends and us. We the band, you know, we we knew. Well, but I'm saying it took it took her poker face to get him to to light up or lighten up. <laughs> I'm not sure which one. Is it a metaphor? Or did it really happen? <laughs> Poker face, what? That's cheap. That's her first. That was her her single. Poker face. Oh yeah, yeah. Poker face. I got the poker face. I got the poker yeah, face. Yeah, she's amazing. I love I love Michelle. That's what I call her. Right. After watching the Netflix yeah. special. All I know is yes, that five foot two thing. You know, she she's amazing, amazingly awesome, fierce. But uh, yeah, and so he just it was a brief thing, by the way. Uh, and I could tell you stories that I can't tell you. Someday I'll do- <laughs> we'll you know save I mean? it for off the air. Yeah. I, okay, I, I, I will ask one more if you can tell us this because Corey and I, we used to love the Shannon nighttime like lullabies where you come in, you know, and smoke with us and finally sit down and tell us more stories about being on the road. And you told the greatest Van Halen stories between Alex Van Halen, Whitfield Crane, <laughs> and Eddie Van Halen. The yeah. Can you tell you finally got me because I never know what Alex Van Halen's actually like because he's always been so quiet and just the guy playing incredible drums, but you made him come to life for me. Can you can you speak to Alex Van Halen? Yeah, and he was so smart and like weird, you know. <laughs> How's he weird? Like he, you know, he well, I say weird, but in and now looking back, that was 30 years ago. Almost, and so looking back now, with, with, with the knowledge that we have now, and the way the world looks now, he might have been right. But he was definitely in the conspiracy theories of the highways underneath the United States that connected Houston with DC and the aliens, and you know, and boy, he was intense about it too. And I every day I would look forward to catering, and I hope I got to sit with Alex again so he could. Just talk. I never said a word. I'd sit there, a smile on my face. Like this dude is the king. Uh, 
but he was very animated and like yeah you you think he's the shy brother or whatever he's not shy dude he would smoke cigarettes chain smoke them put them out on his hand as he's saying some intense wow. shit i'm serious and he would chain he would light the next cigarette he chain smoke after he ate <laughs> And then as he, he'd light the next one, have it in his mouth and put that motherfucker out on his hand while he'd look at me. Dude, can intense. I tell you a, a true story? You told me that story and then we, I was really baked and I was like, I'm going to try putting this out in my, my hand. And I actually burned the fuck out of my hand. Like, how oh. the hell does Alex Van Halen just casually put this out? I'm like, saying, they're like, oh, isn't it cool that I'm just like casually burning myself? Don't try yeah, it no, home, it, kids. It, it wasn't casual. He went, mm, like he was showing me that he was doing it. And I think, you know, he had probably calloused his hands up. You know what I mean? Uh, Clearly. From playing drums. Because I like when you're on tour for a while, you get these big fucking calluses on your fingers, you know. But he was doing it over here on his on his palm. like. So maybe he also liked to do that for many years. And so it's calloused, good and calloused there now too. You know what I mean? It's like somebody who, you know, if, if you drink a case of beer a day and you're doing twist off bottle caps, you can get callous right here in the nook of your hand where you twist, you know, 24 beers. Oh yeah, you're like a, a samurai warrior hitting your head against the wall for five minutes a day. And then finally you can just smash people with your skull when you're 60. Yep. <laughs> yeah, man. I, you know, I had, I had like, if you look at some of those shirts I sent you, Benny, you know, I collect all these t-shirts all my life and like, you know, some shirts are 20, 30 years old, literally, Night of the Living Dead or whatever. And so I started noticing these, like, just little, like, tears on, on the bottom right, like little holes on the bottom right of, of my T-shirts. And they were all just, just, like, these shirts weren't, I didn't, they were not cut up, punk rock, you know, affied by me. And all of a sudden, in these holes and, and, I really couldn't figure it out. I'm like, I don't know what could cause that, right? And then it wasn't till months later on tour, and I was trying to open a Corona, which isn't a twist off. And I, I pull my shirt up, and I, I'd open doors like that, boom. <laughs> and to the extent I, I, all my shirts, I have little holes on the right side of them, man. <laughs> yeah, you're a drinker. That's amazing. I was. I was. I was a beer drinker. I'm sober guy. We, we were talking about this on the last show. You were saying how being a rock star and climbing the mountain is not having any boss. And I think that the cool thing that I've, I've learned about you is that you have spent your life helping other people realize their dreams. You know what I mean? And, and realize their songs. So Sully Erna comes in with a riff or whatever, and you bring it to life, but you're bringing his ideas and, and coloring them in. Whereas with the apocalypse... You literally dream these songs up. Like you told me, and then I'll, you can speak to it, but you would call me and you sent me these lyrics to a song called Jack the Tripper, which is, they're always really interesting names to songs. And you're like, I wrote this in a dream and I've been thinking about this song forever. And finally it just came to me and I just started automatic writing it. And these songs, I've never listened to lyrics but now having been in your band, you'll call me and be like, so no one the lyric goes and insert anything from the record. No, I don't. So I went and studied everything and I realized that you are one of the greatest lyricists ever. And it's incredible because thinking about it, it just comes from your subconscious. Can you speak to how that comes out? 
Well, I tell you what, thank you firstly, Benny, because that 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 that's makes me feel so good. I, I I've always written lyrics, I always love to do it, always get in bands where the singer wants to do it. You know, that's just that's the nature of the beast. If you're not a singer and you're a drummer, you know, it's rare or to be in rush. rush. Right. That's what I just <laughs> said. See, and I thought that maybe I even said to Benny one time, and it was Benny who said, It's just your subconscious, dude. That's what's you know, you're just it's you. Because I was like, I don't, I can't even, I know when I, when it's a good lyric. And as Benny can tell you, you know, I've kept my lyrics since, my God, forever. And so, you know, most of those didn't turn into songs because they aren't great. Are they good and deep or whatever? I mean, that part of my life, they're like, they're like markers in, in my life, you know, my lyrics. And so, you know, and they change, you know, and sometimes like I'll go back that song optimistic off the last record, you know, it, that was from maybe 30 years ago. You know, some of those lyrics that come out snake charmer I've had for 15 years. And, and you know what I mean? But, and it took me that long to find the other four guys that could help me paint that picture. And then with the, uh, also the violin and the cello in the chorus that Corey beefed up and made fucking, perfect man and so the, like all those elements whether even the sitar which i forced loud in the mix it's like <laughs> you know each one is a brush stroke and that picture is finely painted you know but i've had it imagine 15 years imagine have something in your head for 15 years but you can't you know that's great but you can't get it out and you i the, the drum beat has changed over three demos over those 15 years, different, complete different vibes almost, but with the one simple melody, you know? Yeah. That's snake charmer, which is off the upcoming apocalypse blues record. Title. Let me ask as a drummer, how are some of these songs starting in your head? Cause for me as a violinist, I'll think of a melody that's suited to violin. Are you thinking of lyrics? Are you thinking of a groove like, or is it everything? No, it's the oddest thing. I, I literally, I mean, usually, well, if I'm, if I'm purposely writing, then it's a riff and I'll have to pick up the bass and make a riff that comes in my head. And then I try and figure it out. But mostly the last whole, all these songs on the, that make com comprise the snake charmer album. I dream these crazy dreams. I and mean, I wake up right in the morning and that's when I'll have the earworm and I know usually, especially in the hotel room is when it, it's an odd thing because you're like, yeah, just right when, right, like right when I'm right in between sleep and waking, you know? So it's not, it's not as if, and I would literally, you can look at them like many even could see it, like how fast I'm trying to write because it's just pouring out like line after line and clever lines. So I was like, this isn't, this fucking lyric, I will say it out loud. I wrote it. It's great. But I don't feel like I wrote it because it's, you know, I can say it's great because I didn't write it. It came from fucking yeah. somewhere else, somewhere else. Yeah. There's something magical about that, that time, you know, when you are just coming out of sleep. And uh, we even had Miles Kennedy, a phenomenal lyricist and singer, say literally the exact same thing. He said he'd wake up and there'd be this like kind of half dream state and he'd have to like 
convince himself to get out of bed, go in the other room and, and make a little voice memo of a melody or write some lyrics down, uh, and then go back to bed and go and, and, and sleep. But there's, there's something about the, uh, the creative side of your brain. I think when you first wake up where all the reality hasn't fully set in yet. So you're kind of a little more lucid in yeah, that. That area in between sleep and waking is when the veal or the wall goes down like when you go to sleep the only time you can access your 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 subconscious is when you're asleep or knock the fuck out and so or that one second of orgasm then the veal comes down too and allows you your subconscious and so you know when you when you so that 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 area that gray area right in between sleeping and waking it's not you don't have your full control of it but you that's why you have to rush we have to rush people like miles and me we got to run in like i always have something right by my bed usually especially in hotel room pen and paper you know because it's it's closing the veil is closing right and so you got to hurry up because this shit is going to stop and then your subconscious is going to sh- shut down again. So, you know, as we walk around, looking around every day, you know, our subconscious is recording everything. Like we, our brains are way more powerful than any computer, any supercomputer. We use 10% of our brains. You all know this, you know. And so our subconscious is super smart. Like if we if we could all access our subconscious at will, just in our conscious state, then we'd have all have photographic memories. You know, I call that twilight area. I call it I call it like the mental buffer. It's like the mental cachet because it's like that's when I realized it was my subconscious because I I kind of write the same way. I don't I don't want to claim to be remotely as good as you are. But I, I have that feeling like it's not, it's coming from a place. It's coming from something else. It's like a conduit. Like when I play piano, I don't use my active mind at all. I'm just like, Poof. with guitar, I have to actually think, which is why I probably suck, you know? And, and but I, I know that it's coming from somewhere. But when I read it back, I'm like, okay, this motherfucker has been listening to me. And I realize I'm like, oh, it's just, it's just my brain being divisive like everything else in this world. Um, you know, it's my subconscious. And then you realize that that, little area is kind of like your mental cachet. It's like your buffer between your waking brain and the brain that's recording everything, but that goes running around while you sleep. Sure. Sure. And sure. Boston, <laughs> you are a, uh, you're a very uh, humble and charming man, but your talent is, is, what you, you never give yourself enough credit, especially as a songwriter, you know, and it's not, you, you know, you say something that not as good as me or whatever. It's not about good and bad. You know, I mean, there's shit, you know, some dude, but you obviously wouldn't be in my band if you weren't on the, on a next level. Well, listen, no, I, I know I bring a lot to the table, but your lyrics are... <laughs> There's that humble, charming guy. <laughs> yeah, totally humble. I'm amazing. You're right. But let me go on about my idea. I When I read right. Jack the Tripper, I really like, I wish I could just bring it up. Like, it, I read it out loud. I always read your stuff out loud because when I read it in my mind, it's never the same as like when I hear myself actually saying the syllables and all the things. I'm like, that's clever. 
that's clever. Again, and your subconscious is super clever. So I guess what I'm saying is it isn't about good or better, but I don't know if I, my subconscious is as clever as your subconscious, at least lyrically. Maybe yeah, you know, in other I, ways. I gotta admit that, you know, everyone that tells me that people talk about me behind my back, they all say that he's fucking clever, that one. I feel like Tyler Durden. So what's that like? <laughs> what? Being clever. Fight club anyone? No? Oh, yeah. We don't talk about that. I tell you what, no. though, when you're writing lyrics, though, with all joking aside, you know, I, I do. Once, like you asked about, uh, Corey, about the whole, is that the majority of the writing? Well, these are just the sparks that happen usually. I'll get a melody and a verse. Sometimes a, a whole, like Jack the Tripper was a whole verse. And the funny thing about Jack the Tripper was before I had that little, you know, moment and got given that, those lyrics, those great, clever lyrics that I love to this day, um, like I'm wondering all of them too. Like I don't, like I said to Benny when I first wrote it, I'm like, God, you know, because I sent it right to the guys, which I usually don't do because I'll usually work a song. So anyway, I'll get the spark and scribble it down and then later on even trying to read what I wrote. And, uh, and then it comes back. Oh, because uh, cadence, and I know how to write, like, like I'll put a pause in between a word, and then later on when I'm reading it back, I'll say, oh, that word's farther away, the last word, so I know there's a pause there. And then I'll, I'll have a line if I want the word, like, elongated, when it comes to me, right? So that I can go back to it. But that's where the work starts, because then, now I got, I got some kind of melody I got to have, you know, to the, I like, I usually know the cadence. And so... I'll usually start with like, you know, a melody and then the, the, the bass has to come out, you know? And, but as far as drum beats, man, I always have that right away because I think that happens. It just happens. Like I know. You think I in know, rhythm. Yes. I think in rhythm. Well, it's funny because a lot of times you go, I know the song, I just don't know the notes. And I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Cause I have no rhythm. But you understand the rhythm. So I think melodically first, like, and you think rhythmically first, and then you're like, I yep. need to put it to it. And hold on. He, and by the way, I wish you guys could see how beautifully this is written out. I hope you don't mind, Shannon, but I'll, can I read the first verse of Jack the Tripper? Yeah, you can read the first verse. You can read it. I like it. One time, then the next time, and the last time too. It's scary and it's funny, but it's deep as the ocean's blue. Try digging you a hole and filling it back. There's never enough dirt. Who knows where it's at? Where did it go? The tripper knows, but Jack don't say a word. He turns that dirt into gold. He puts youth back into the old. And while the masses run away, reality is a shallow grave. Jack the tripper's broken all the molds. It's about alchemy. And Jack the tripper's an alchemist. Ah. <clears throat> but it'll, it'll become evident later in the song. Is this for the uh, the next record? Yeah, play the, sing him the uh, second verse though. It's better. Bring it, get it going back there. I have a lot of shit in Larkin Media. Hold on. Like these are all infants, by the way. I call all my songs infants because, like, mm. what he's reading, you know, it will change. So I'll continue. I'll just read this for you guys. It's amazing. She's a he, and he's a her, and I'm a you. A picture paints a thousand words. A mirror, very few, hold onto a fleeting thought that turns into wait, an wait, idea. Wait. Cadence, cadence. 
a picture. Yeah, established, she has no rhythm. So, hold on, hold on. But if you don't pause at the break, because you have to go, a picture paints a thousand words, a mirror, very few. A picture paints a thousand words, a mirror, very few. Oh, wow. That's way better than what Remarkably different Ben's rendition. Yeah. I don't want to ruin it anymore. No, that's no. <laughs> keep keep going. Let's live. Okay. Yeah. One, two, three, four. <laughs> Hold on to a fleeting thought that turns into idea. Once it's gone, it never may come back. Where did it go? The tripper knows, but Jack just smiles and doesn't say a word. He's turning dirt back into gold and putting youth back in the old. And while the masses run away, reality's a shallow grave. Jack the tripper breaks another mold. And he must dance. He must dance and necromance. And still we dance, still we dance and make romance. This we need and that we want, but anything we'll do. Picking ripe epiphanies that tell us what to do. Once informed, the logic is to pr- process every thought, trying to make sense of everything that we've been taught. It's like Edgar Allan Poe. I it is. Even- <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And guess what? Let me say this. I get to brag because Terry Carter comes to uh, to see me one time. This was, uh, God, I think it was definitely the only time I'd seen him since we recorded the record. And he came down, you know, a couple weeks after we got done, before I left for Europe. And he picked, he was picking up some gear anyway. And he goes, hey, got a song title for you. Jack the Tripper. And I was like, oh, that's awesome, man. I'll write something. And then it wasn't until Europe when I woke up in that hotel room and fucking, Jesus, I can picture it, but I don't know what country it was. It, it, uh, but, uh, and I had it. And that's why I, you know, I texted all y'all those lyrics. I was so happy with that. Cause you know, again, like those lyrics, you know, they'll all change and, 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 but like, but I, I'll get a song. So like I have a, a the breakdown and everything like, and it's, it's pretty trippy. Are you, are you, it sounds to me like you're also envisioning the, the melody to an extent when the lyrics come to you. Is that right? Or is it more like the, the cadence of the rhythm or are you hearing notes as well? No, no, I got melody. It's melody and I have the melody, but I don't know. It's, it sounds right now, the cadence and the melody are very uh, limerical, limerical. You know, it sounds very like Irish. You know what I mean? Jack the Tripper's breaking all the rules and he must dance, you know. Uh, but I do have some melodies that I like. You can definitely, in reading them, you're like, these are. this is not just a poem. It's, it's lyrics because it, you can almost hear it evoking a melody, even if, if I'm not hearing the same melody that you're hearing. It's very whimsical and musical what i like to do and what makes some of my songs weird that i mean if you look at the normal uh normal music out there right now that is uh popular then you hear the apocalypse blues is that first record and that's weird sounding shit right and it's hard to categorize um, even though the new one is way better, and uh, I I think 
I think it's alternative is how we can, the only way we can really categorize the band because um, while it has aspects of blues and classic rock, certainly psychedelic acid rock, you know, it's got this eclectic mix. I feel the, the, the most, the, the thing I'm most proud about on the whole record, listening to it as a whole, is that is still cohesive and sounds like a, a band like it does it sounds we might be doing ragtime into a big fat you know wah-wah lead you know what i mean and or i don't know phrygian phrygian scales into fucking you know uh samba beat chorus like steely dan or something you know what i mean so it's very eclectic but i just feel like and why I'm most proud of it is the cohesion. It doesn't sound like Frank Zappa. Like it's not. Well, Frank it's Zappa more like a band word. like yeah. Queen. I, I know that sounds pretentious, like, but like yeah. Queen could yeah. have, could have. Uh, so you have like a uh, night at the opera where you have Bohemian Rhapsody and the Prophet song. They're like these five, six, eight minute opuses. But then you have like Lazing on a Sunday Afternoon, which is almost like Musette or vaudeville sounding, vaudevillian. And then you have like Thirty Nine which is literally just an acoustic ballad that sounds like it's 1940s-y. Like, and that's yeah. clean. And that's kind of, and yeah. I agree with you that whether you love this band, you hate this band, there it sounds is. like this band. There you hit it. We're queen. <laughs> oh my God. You're going to put that, no. you're to put that in a thing. You're a friend. You're Betty Singleton. Oh my God. I think that a big part of that is the way that you conceptualized recording the record itself. Um, you know, the fact that it was just a band in a studio for a week, you know, making that happen. Uh, a lot of things nowadays are recorded piecemeal and, and, and in multiple places and, and over, uh, you know, months or weeks and stuff, as we know with Lost Symphony. So it can be difficult to keep that cohesiveness, you know, when you're putting together, especially like a full length album. But we went down, we went into the studio and you set your drums up and we recorded all those songs without moving the drums they're in that room they have that sound we had you know terry carter and, and we had brian we had all these all that it was the same setup it was the same environment and all those songs even though they're it's an eclectic group of songs uh and it, it's it's you know it's a it's a wild ride you know from one end to the other of the album it was all done by a band in a studio in a week i think it was your vision of, of the way you recorded the the record that gives it that co you know that cohesiveness and the and the that sound of, of the apocalypse blues revival. It sounds like the same band, every song, even though the songs are vastly different. Mm -hmm. And the, I wasn't even speaking of the actual production of it is just fantastic. That was you and Benny, Mike and that shit, a great studio, a great drummer. You know, we got the best drum sounds I've ever got. I'm not saying, you know I mean? I can say, great drummer because I've done 40 records. So I know how to hit a drum in the studio. You know You're what I mean? You're pretty good at it. So I'm not bragging or something. I'm saying <laughs> it was a combination of the way you might did. Well, can we talk about this for a moment? Because Corey and I, and I just want to say thank you because we don't really get the opportunity, you know, having home studios in our basements to be able to walk into a place like the place we went in Fort Myers, uh, where you have this giant old school drum room and have a world famous drummer who's incredible, set up an incredible Yamaha kit and then allow us to take $50,000 of microphones and be like, Hey man, should we put these paired U87s up really high and see what it sounds like? 
and then go into a Mitsubishi slash Neve console with all these crazy <laughs> outboard gear. So Corey and I were yeah. just like, wow, that does sound like a million dollars of shit. Cause it, it to us, it's like, it sounded like the audio demo when I used to take people into Best Buy and be like, would you like to buy these $15,000 speakers? And they're like, what do you have? I'm like, Phil Collins is playing the drums. Like, that's what it sounds like in a sound studio, but your drums. And Corey and I were allowed to get to work with you in this beautiful environment. And I say thank you because we would never know how good good can be. And you showed us. Well, I'll say this. I've, I've recorded drums in studios in Europe, all over the world. And, you know, Duncan's Dream Studio 9 has a great, great, great drum sound room, drum room, I mean. But, you know, again, the player, the drums, those those Yamaha uh, Absolute Customs oak wood drums, they're all, they were already my favorite recording drums in, in 36 years of making records or whatever. And so then, like I said, you got to give it to Corey and you because, you know, y'all mic'd it together. I remember just seeing you know, it all go down. It was all going down so quick for me because I knew I was already focused on the song that I was playing first, breaking out of the machine. Right. And I had all the changes that I wanted from the demo, having heard the demo so much, you know, rewriting the fucking lyrics, all that shit. And, uh, and so in that, so in my head, I knew exactly what I wanted to play and, and where, and I knew the range would like to back my hand. However, I just never practiced it. That's like played it in the garage before I go in the studio, which I usually do. I like to, I like to be well rehearsed. I still improv like a motherfucker. It's just in that band I can. Where like Godsmack, I can't. My main thing is certain uh, words are on the kick and the snare. It's almost like rap in that way. Well, the drums are like your acoustic guitar. It's it's the truth because like, I mean, when I write a song or whatever, I, I, I will write a part, but I, I need Paul, you know, Paul Lorenzo, the drummer in Lost Symphony, our band. Um, I need him to come and like make sense of what I'm doing so then I can go re-record it in time now because I'll play to him. You start where Paul comes in for me. And you right. think with a rhythm first, and it's but it's so thought out. It's crazy to think you do a six minute song all just on the drums. But watching you play, where I say a one take well, Larkin, see, that was uh, that's, what I. That's the thing, though. There is a method, though. Like I said, it's it's many many days when I get obsessed, and then I end up in in my studio back here for days on end and punching in my bass with my foot and it always starts the same way i'll 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 do the song it's not a first take i'm not going in there and you know i do the drums good for the demos that i make and then i'll put the bass on and some really bad vocals because i'm not a, a good singer and send it to shane is usually how it, every song on this thing went except for in here was different because See, there was four songs that Bombola was with me still. And it was before pre-Terry Carter. And that was Breaking Out of the Machine, Skinny the Mushroom Fair. watching, oh, hold no. on, just went really quickly. Tony Rombola, the incredible number one guitarist Legend. in all of hard rock and metal right now, 
in Godsmack with the with the hit single "Surrender" was also in Apocalypse the Apocalypse Blues revival before what originally was in Wrathchild America and Wrathchild back in the eighties with Shannon Terry Carter. So you have these two incredible guitars in your life yeah. that are orbiting around this band. Yeah, man. How about that? How lucky of a dude am I? Yeah, I've been doing these benefit things to try and help the hurricane down here. And I was a judge with Dave Foreman, by the way. Dave Foreman and I judged this American Idol style, as well as okay. Jean Beauvoir. You know, there's all these stories, right? And like, uh, oh, here's a positive one. Because most of the funny things that happened at that first, there was two rounds of this competition, right? And so, you know, and it's it, firstly, they it's a, it was broad daylight. And so I'm kind of hanging around the back. <laughs> Me and Foreman are are hanging around the back the side of the building, right? And then the stage is over on the other side in this big field. There was only like 100, 150, 150 people there or something, but it had $25 a pop. You know, every uh, three, we get raised like $3,000 to give to local musicians who lost their shit, like Brian Carpenter did in this hurricane, you know? And um, anyway, <laughs> the funny thing is, so, you know, they go, all right, let's bring them up here, the judges, right? And then, then there was the first guy who I, you know, I don't know him. And so he's a, he was a local, like maybe producer guy or whatever. And then, uh, and they, they said him and who he produced and all this stuff. And then, then they said, and Shannon Larkin, you know, Godsmack. And they even, they did the research. They said, Godsmack, Ugly Kid Joe, uh, and some other they said like candle by some band i wasn't in but i played for or whatever <laughs> and so and so you know in the crowd said ah you know 150 people you know what i mean and um so the first guy went and then he sits down at the table american idol style right in front of the stage right four chairs so he goes and sits down there and then after he was introduced and spoke and then so i got up channel Lord got back i get joe you know ozzy and fucking uh <laughs> <laughs> and then so I said my thing and I sit down and my and you have to walk off the stage this way and you go down these stairs and walk in front of the stage where the table is right and so as I'm walking down I I get I get down I sit down <laughs> the MC goes Dave Fortman <laughs> that was clapped no one clap. No one knows who Dave Foreman is. If, if, you know, I mean, you know. I mean, no. and Dave knows that. He goes, "What the fuck?" Like, and Dave went up and said, "Hey, hey I'm Dave," and you know, and he had to say it himself. You know, I produced, oh. uh, you know, Evan Essence and Slipknot or whatever. But if the dude would have went, you know, he produced Godsmack, Evan Essence, Slipknot, right. Mudvayne, right. whatever. He got a shitty he's, intro. <laughs> He's, he's got his name on 60 million records out there. You know what I mean? Oh, and so, and then the crowd would have went, hey, you know, that's why yeah. he's a judge at American Idol style competition with singers and whatever. <laughs> and and he was very great judge. Like he was the one, like I'd be like, yeah, hey, you were red and you had the presence, you know, and you, you your voice was way mature beyond its years or whatever. And then he would go, yeah, you know, uh, you yeah, everything he said, but you know, if constructive criticism, you know, and he goes into like, you know, at the end of her, at the end of your lines, you're going flat every time, and you watch out for that and shit like that. He was this, you know, he was really good at it. Uh, oh, until after like the fifth Stella Artois, 
<laughs> Artois. 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 Yeah. Then he started. Then he started. I was like, oh no. And they were these big cans, like at the festivals, you know. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, man. And he was like, man, this, I can't even, you know. Or, or the one redneck dude came out and played, and his song was horrible, and it was this older dude. And, and Dave's like, I love this dude. He's from Louisiana, and a great song, dude. And I'm like, dude. That sucks. <laughs> In other words, if Dave's judging a competition, you want to go on later and uh, let him let him get right? into the, the mood of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, sober Dave, not as good on the ears as five Stella Trois Dave's in. Yeah, I tell you what, though, he's funny either way. That dude's a funny dude. He's, I've always told him, especially an ugly kid Joe when he was younger too. He smoked pot all the time then. And then something changed and it started putting him to sleep. So he's like, yeah, I don't know if I smoke pot anymore. So the great Dave Foreman doesn't even smoke weed anymore. Which, and I, you know, it's, I say that because when I joined Ugly Kid Joe, that was his thing. And like Dave always had, always had joints rolled. He was had shit done. He just loved weed. And California, we had good weed too. And so... And Dave was the dude. Like, when you would go to his, he even had a home studio, and he made his garage into a studio in which Ugly Kid Joe even recorded in all this shit. Did a video there. But, uh, and it all, it was like going in a Snoop studio. You know what I mean? When you walked in Portman's studio, man, it just, that was, that was it. Snot did their first demos there. I remember. And it smelled like weed. <laughs> and Lynn, 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 Lynn loved his weed too, by the way. And I used to go, I'd go to the Snot House, Snot House, and uh, and buy weed from Lynn straight. Like he'd sell me weed. He didn't have, he wasn't a dealer or anything. He would just sell me weed because he'd have extra weed. And I'd call him up, man, you got any weed, man? He's like, well, I'll sell you some of mine. <laughs> I I met Lynn straight for thirty five seconds. He walked off stage and he had a blunt in his hand. And he handed it to me and then he signed my thing and we smoked a blunt and he was like, how old are you? And I'm like, 15 is like, good. And like handed it back to me. And, and I, I, I smoked with him. I'm like, dude, I just smoked with the singer from snot. And then he passed away. And I'm like, I, I remember thinking, Oh my God, I had that moment with that guy. And I sent you a picture recently because I, I found in my, um, in my attic, I had all my old t-shirts. I had my Ozfest 1998 shirt that I never wore. And on it was signed from Lynn Strait, who, if you guys go on to eBay and try to look, you can't find his autograph. He didn't sign for very long. He wasn't famous for very long. You can't find a lot of his stuff. And I had his autograph to me on my shirt, and I it made me smile because I think it's been like, was it 22 years the other day? Yeah. So yeah, to man. Lynn Strait in the heavens of, uh, above us and the snot yeah. guys. Uh, Shannon, you were on with uh, with Mikey Doling yeah. uh, well, a while back. So if you guys want, you know, all the snot stories, make sure you go check out those episodes. Oh my god! Uh, we'll, we'll we'll put some links uh, in the description. Those are an absolute riot. You guys, <laughs> yeah. you guys were animals. <laughs> well, I'll throw this out too about Mikey because little shout out. You know, he sends me. I'm I'm. We've had this like, oh, mutual adoration for each other's work like him not me that's the drummer for godsmack you know what i mean he was always into uh, you know my side projects and you know we were 
we were really close in Santa Barbara around the Sat days and all that, you know. And so as a result of that, we trust each other enough to like send our babies, you know, to each other before they're mixed or whatever. And so Mikey will send me new songs, you know, that he has in his band. Uh, um, God. Wyote. Wyote is amazing. Yeah. They're awesome. I mean, he just sent me a new yeah. song two days ago. He did the same thing me to me. Too. He said, I, I sent you him, I sent I him a cover it. that we did of Over the Mountain because I found it on my computer. I'm like, this is really good. You know, really cool, like guitar effect in the verse, you know, and it has yeah, like, dude. I love you. I love the ascending riff and the chorus. It's, it's just really super cool. melodic, but also heavy as fuck. Yeah. And a yeah, little bit my- weird. It's, it's great. He's such a good songwriter. Yeah, it's weird. That singer is a cool, it's that dude. Uh, he's albino and he sings for, uh, are you talking about Gemini syndrome? Is that- yes. Yeah. Yes. Aaron. I have very few, like, you know, dear friends that I respect so much as writers of songs, you know what I mean? And, and, and the, the vice versa thing too. Like, you know, he's one of my friends that, cause I've, you know, let's, let's say it, you know, I'm a unknown and my legacy will be drums and I just drummer, you know, and I, I'm proud of that. I love that, you know, and that was a peak, you know what I mean? And it's all going to culminate, you know, in my rock, dream i didn't i didn't dream as a kid of going and and uh having a cult following and playing warm theaters because they sound better and you can feel the energy better from the crowd i wanted to fucking play stadiums and be as big as the rolling stones you know what i mean that was my thing i want to be a fucking rock star i want to be the who i want to be keith moon you know did you ever blow up your drum set like keith moon did tony is tony deaf <laughs> no but i i would <laughs> i trashed my drum set a couple times a la keith moon and uh and didn't even remember it and i threw everybody out of the studio fuck you and get out of my studio and all this and I don't even remember it, but that's why I'm sober for six and a half years. Well, good for you. Yeah. Congratulations, Congratulations, by the way, absolutely. on that. Yeah, thank of you. All, of, of all things, I have to say that from my personal experience, I mean, hey, look, I'm not, everyone knows their limits, but alcohol is always the thing that I find that consumes people the most. I mean, everybody has their own vices, but every time, like my job has been to be a DJ for like 15 years. So like I've always been the sober guy looking at a bunch of drunk people and like nothing good ever comes of it. I ended up at the police station identifying people more times than I'd care to admit just working in downtown Boston as a DJ. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, that's a good yeah. perspective. Yeah, alcohol is uh, it's true, you know, and, you know, and some people believe that it's a gene, you know, and you can actually you know, be born with this gene that some people have and some people don't addictive personality, you know, and some of us, you know, I wish that I, I wish I didn't have that gene because I love to drink and I, God, I loved it and I miss it, but I'm smart enough to know that it was my demise. And, you know, I did some crazy shit that, you know, isn't me, wasn't me. And that I, I don't regret anything, but I, 
I'm certainly not proud of. And, you know, as I get older, I want to be proud of every fucking thing. I want to, you know, love every breath I take. Yeah, it's amazing advice. It's so true. Well, I, I will say that I'm very excited uh, that Shannon. So when I first met Shannon, he, he made good his first off his demos that he's made has got have gotten so exponentially better since the first stuff. So even in the last two years or year and a half or what have have you, his demos have gotten better. But I've always said to him, hey, hey, Shannon, how come you don't make like better sounding stuff? You're a rock star. Just you have a great kit. And he finally called me, said, Benny. Can you make a studio for me? Like, you know, so I could do this here. And I called Corey right up and I said, Corey. Can you make a studio for Shannon? <laughs> can you make a studio for Shannon? Am I, do, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? And I'm so excited that we actually get to help you with where we're good. Because I know that when you get enabled to be able to bring your ideas where you can make them sound like they sound in your head yourself, that you're going to be so much happier that you're going to feel like your own boss in your own house. Yeah, and, and you know what? And since you and Terry have joined the band too, you know, I've, I've have, uh, you know, learned so much more just about, like I used to just write the, the, these songs and I didn't care what notes they were. I just found them what the, what I heard from the melody I'd sing. I can find, I can, I know the riff in my head and I, I can go down the neck, ding, 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 there it is, and find it. And I don't know that that's A or whatever, or didn't. Now I do. At least I'm, I'm, I'm learning the basics of at least being able to say to you guys, yeah, it's an A, and then I go to fucking C sharp on the bridge or whatever. You know what I mean? Rather than it's this, dude, dude, dude. <laughs> and I'm trying to show Terry fucking Carter, who's a, nerd genius like you and knows all the ne- I'm trying to show him the, the riff of Skinny and the Mushroom Fairy. Well, well anyway, Siobhan's the craziest. Funny. You could play anything and she'll literally be like, oh, that is the Hirajashi scale. But you added some of the, <laughs> the minor pentatonic in there. So there's, I guess it's the Hirajashi with yeah, the minor yeah. pentatonic over it. Yeah, but that, that can be very, but that can be very limiting. I wish I were more like <laughs> Shannon sometimes where it's like, I don't, I'm, I'm free of the knowledge of music theory. Well, yeah, you're stifled, but this is so. This is the opposite. So, Siobhan is the other side right. of the spectrum where you're where you're set free. You're like, oh, there's a mode. I'll I'll fro- frolic amongst this mode. Siobhan's stifled by. Do I use the Lydian mode? Do I use the Dorian <laughs> mode? The Mixolydian and then that mode. Was crippling indecision, and then do yeah. none of the above. So, because she knows so many things. It's like all these different choose your own adventure pages. When you're just like, I'm going to keep turning the page. It's amazing. Yeah, but. You know, in all seriousness, seriousness, watching you play Shabon, you know, you were, you know, you went away. I don't, I don't think any theory was in, in your head. It was then, you know, uh, passion. And That's true. Knowledge. I think when you're surrounded by the people that sort of put that energy forward, it does change it for you too. I mean, well, when I'm by myself in my own head, it's one thing, but I was changed with all of you. Jedi Terry was yelling, "Can she play quarter tones?" So if you go, if you don't know what that is, if you haven't tuned your sitar lately, um, <laughs> Siobhan came up with quarter tones because you know Terry thinks he's being cool. And meanwhile, she totally <laughs> created this snake charmer vibe, like pulled it out of her brain, and it was it was amazing to watch 
Shannon. And then Terry had just met her at that moment. He's like, wow. <laughs> oh, we're yeah, dealing with a good one here. He was just amazed. And he's not the kind of guy that would be right off the bat. Oh, she's great. Like, okay, we yeah, can do no, something he, with this. But Terry Carter, he, he definitely knows what's great and what he likes. And, you know, I've known him since I was eight years old and he was raised on exactly because we were raised together on rock and roll in the same exact band. So like anything, even when I went off, he'd go off in the left field in the blues world and be turning me on to all these guys. And I would went in the fucking right field in the punk world and would turn him on to all these punk bands, you know. And, and since we would tour the country in bands and stuff, um, you know, we all have like whoever was driving behind the wheel for five, six hour shifts, you know what I mean? In a van tour, they control the stereo, you see? And so as we were coming up, touring literally in a van for 12 years together, you know what I mean? Um, it was just who could turn who onto the next thing, you know what I mean? And so this whole thing of having him in the band again with me, I'm so blessed. Me and you, Benny, I tell you what, that dude, will get us heard you know what i mean like i believe it and i and i'm not crazy even the great steve wood heard it and he he really liked us and wrote me a a, a very nice text message with details you could tell he really listened to it and the the the, the standout thing was and your guitar player is phenomenal and i could just hear <laughs> steve wood English accent. He's been on the show. Y'all know and love him. Yes, yes. Uh, he's our British ambassador. Our British ambassador. Yes. Yes, he is. He's the raddest. And uh, hopefully he'll he'll be involved in our lives, you know, in this band, the apocalypse. We sure, we would sure love to have him. But uh, on board, you know, we got, we got things to talk about. I'll come back. I know that we're at the end of the rope here, but. I'll come back on 2020. Well, we're, we're, we're really yeah. happy to have we you, love man. Having you here, and 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 it's it's genuinely a, pl- a pleasure. And and I so people, if 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 you guys don't know the backstory, Shannon literally came on this show, and we told him we we're in our band Lost Symphony, and we sent him a thank you, sent him our records, and Shannon, being the nice guy that he is, he knows as a musician, you listen to other musicians' music if they send it to you, even if it sucks, you at least <laughs> listen to it and respond. It's kind of a thing, and. He messaged me back and he's like, is that really you playing piano? Yeah, on every song. And you recorded this in my basement. Really? Yeah. And I like, uh, he's like, you should join my band. And I literally pined about it for months to Siobhan and Corey. And then I actually joined the band. And then we got to all, all of us went down because Siobhan's in Miami. And then Corey, I take Corey everywhere. He's my training wheels. Anytime I say I'm a producer. <laughs> Um, you know, we flew down to, to Fort Myers and we got to hang out with Shannon and do this record with the incredible band that Shannon has surrounded me with. And I have to tell you that I am so humbled. But the funniest part was Shannon one day looked at me because we talk about a lot of esoteric things like manifestation, like, you know, positive thoughts. Like, does this, does this matter? And, and Shannon looked at me like deadpan and said that he, you know, Benny, I've been waiting for someone like you to be able to help me with my ideas and all that. Like I manifested you. And I said, no, Shannon, I manifested you. 
You're the multi-platinum drummer that flew me out here on your dollar to tell me that you manifested me. No, I manifested you. And that was the greatest moment of my life. And I appreciate you for that. Well, you know, I met you right here, man, on this show. And I remember I was like, hey, Boston, man. You know, like. Uh, that moment. Um, hey, Boston. So this is where funny. it all started. It's so funny, you know, like, like in this small world like this, you know, like here it is. I end up in a band from Boston, right? And then I have this band from Florida that I started. And then I end up with a keyboardist from Boston. <laughs> I think that's the coolest thing, you know? Must have had some kind of. Circle. It does. It does. Where are you, well, Siobhan? Where are you from? In the U.S. I'm from Michigan originally, yeah. So I'm Midwestern, uh, and then right now I'm in Ohio, but I ended up in Florida. So, but yeah, Michigan girl. Yeah, well, you ended up in the right place, I tell you. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Florida, baby, that's what I'm talking about. I don't that's care. Hurricanes, right. we got it all down here, but yep. I love it and won't leave. You know, bring on, bring it on. I don't care. I don't blame are- you. I don't blame you because it is cold as shit outside here in uh, in Massachusetts. So I'm very oh. jealous. Uh, Got a couple more brutal months, my friend. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. <laughs> you know, you uh, know the funny thing about you know Florida now. You know, like I'm a Floridian. I've lived here like close to 20 years. You know, so and so you know it, it actually like even Ron Bola, You know, he moved down here like I don't know 12, 13, 15 years ago, something, and when we were in Europe in October, we were all like, we, me and Tony were just so so cold. And it wasn't really that cold. We were down in 40, 30 degrees or whatever, but it wasn't that bad. Scotland was pretty rough. But anyway, me and him particularly were just scarfs and gloves and, and mid hat. <laughs> True Floridians. Like, damn, dude. Yeah. And I'm like, that's it. And Tony's like, damn, because he's from, you know, New Hampshire. And so he's like, Oh man, you know my 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 skin got thin. You know, being that's what happens. You acclimate. You know, I think it's true. You know, like because I remember, it is. I, th- I believe that. Oh yeah, well you have to go into like a, a hyperbaric chamber every day called Boston. You get used to being in like the freezing cold. So when it's only like fifteen degrees and hurting your face, you're like, at least it's not negative thirty wind chills. Yeah, man. Um, I've spent I've spent a good many winters there, and ironically, it just always ended up that we got smack will record in the winter when we did our records up there. And I mean, you know, me and Tony staying at the uh, Holiday Inn in Salem, which was the closest place to our studio or whatever, and just and Rambola, you know, being from up there. We'd be driving back from the studio at night, and he's going like, I don't know, normal speed, you know? But it it looked like, you know, like Star Trek when they hit warp speed, you know, in space. (laughs) Yeah, and the snow looked like that to me, and I'm like, I can't see two feet in front of me. And he's like, oh, I'm like, Jesus, man, you know? I'm like clutching (laughs) the feet, you know? And Ron Bola's like, oh, you know, I grew up in this shit, you know. <laughs> Let me wish anybody, everybody watching this happy holidays, too. And Yes. You too, it, man. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Wonder and all. Wonder and all. Wonder and all. That's Wonder the theme and all. of all yeah. of this. Shannon, thank you so much, man. 
It's always a pleasure. It's awesome to have you you back. Enlightening as always. You're the best. Check out 2020-D.com, like and subscribe, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-D.com, like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 89, featuring Mikey Doling and Shannon Larkin. Check it out. Um, How about this? We have the snot house, right? All the guys in snot live together in one house. Yes. Okay. And we rehearsed next to the local strip club next door. So we'd be jamming in the day, take a break and go into the strip club and pull the strippers <laughs> out. Oh yeah, they'd be wanting to hang out with us when we're snot. And we'd, they'd come and watch us jam and then we'd take them back to our apartment, or not apartment house, to the snot house. And they would buy us all groceries and you know they had money, <laughs> we didn't. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.